In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, yeah, you should have one. We'll even build it for you. A podcast that is. Simply email me at eric at sportse.io. We'll get your podcast published fast. There's no shortage of news to talk about. Yeah. There's a couple of things, as you mentioned, expanding your footprint. And I think of like, well, that's essential because I keep hearing these stories of lack of access to mental health professionals. I know. In all areas. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with laws, right? Healthcare laws and crossing state lines or not being able to cross state lines. And you've heard stories of like even in major cities to where someone's trying to get help and they don't have access to someone because their mental health professional that they know or the people that they know are completely booked. Yeah. Even in Charlotte, I've heard of people, but all over the place. So why is that? Or take that down the path that you want to take that down. Yeah. I mean, I think that the reality is, is that we have way more people seeking treatment and it started with COVID. People went through the kind of whole COVID shutdown and then we had a lot of political divisiveness within the country and people struggle with that. And then I think that more recently, we've got these kind of brutal acts of violence that are happening pretty consistently these days. And so I think that people are realizing that they need support and they need help. And so a lot of what we're seeing is people who haven't been to therapy before, people who haven't seen a counselor. In addition to that, I just think that it's becoming more talked about and more recognized. And when I was a kid, there weren't many people who would acknowledge that they had a therapist, but it's different these days. And, you know, kind of across the board, there's still some communities that struggle with it as far as wanting to seek counseling. But I think that for the most part, the mainstream Americans understand that this is something that can be helpful for them and that they can kind of get that extra support. And that's what we see. We will have somebody come in once and they'll say, I'm just going to try this one time. And they'll even say, I doubt it's going to help or something like that. And then they kind of go through the process and then they see it's really helpful. And and then it just becomes a part of the way, kind of one of the resources that they use in their life to get that extra support. The other part is, I think people who have been a support system are less capable of being support systems right now because they're going through their, their own stuff. And so friends and family and people we would have leaned on in the past kind of to talk through those things. I don't know that they have the capability of being able to support somebody else because they're personally going through more things on their own. And so it's very difficult for them to be a support system for somebody else when they're trying to make sure that they're okay. Yeah, I never even thought of that, that you would have like your community, people, your natural connections that you would have that could actually help you out with these things. What's being done to make it more available. I mean, obviously, if you have more people going to school for this, more people graduating, but that takes time, right? That's not an overnight fix. And there probably isn't an overnight fix. This is just a little bit at a time. But what do you see is being done? I mean, obviously, you all are growing, but what's being done at different levels, whether it's the state level or federal level, to make it easier to get access to somebody? Yeah, there's a lot of conversations about people being able, especially with things being much more virtual these days. There's a lot of conversations with reciprocity and being able to work kind of in other states. Right now, the licensing rules are pretty strict about that the both the therapist and the person has to be in the same state where the therapist is licensed. There just was a group of, I think, 12 states who just kind of put together kind of a consortium of states where they gave reciprocity to each other, mostly Southern. I think it's Mississippi, Kentucky, Tennessee, areas like that. But 
I think where they have, particularly in states that have maybe less big cities or not as big of big cities, where there was a lot of people in the rural areas who just absolutely did not have access to it unless they were able to connect with people in their state. And so, I mean, that's something I certainly support. I think that overall, if we have a supply issue and there is supply out there, but it's in different areas and there's people that can be helpful, then I would support them opening that up a little bit. I guess just from a sense that we know that some states have a bigger supply of therapists than others do. And there are people who have room in their caseload to see people. But at the end of the day, if you're kind of trying to see somebody in your own state and they're mostly full, then you're in trouble unless you, you know, you can kind of search out smaller cities and things like that. That's because of the virtual aspect. But there's also a lot of people who still want to be in person. And if you want to be in person and then also in network with your insurance company, there's these huge waiting lists. And we saw it with psychiatrists previously. You know, psychiatrists were so full that it was really difficult to get in to see the really talented ones. And now the same thing is happening with therapists. I think based on just an increase of volume and, you know, kind of people needing help. Right. I don't know that there's a direct fix other than opening up the access. I think, like you said, there's more people going to school and people being interested in younger people who want to do this in their life, but that takes time and that's not going to help us in the next six months. And so, yeah, I would fully support opening it up a little bit. Makes me think of two things. One is, is this a lot about money for the states, right? Or in insurance? I mean, there's a couple of things there, you know, talking about the insurance aspect, are more people willing to go to not have this be an insurance thing, right? Like, if you have a headache and you need Advil, just I need the Advil, right? And if it costs more, that's fine because I want to get on with my day. As you know, when it talks to this, like of thinking of like having a therapist, are people willing to just hire the therapist, pay the hourly rate and not worry about the insurance? Like, is there an uptake in that? You know, I kind of mentioned two different things there. So take that as you want. Yeah. I mean, I think that the interesting thing about the therapy community is people genuinely want to try to help people for the most part from what I've seen. And so they will work with people on different ways for payment as far as payment plans or ways to make it so everybody has access to it. I think that probably at the end of the day, it's about money for the states, but I think it's about organizations that are trying to protect their therapists. I think that's really what is the idea is that the organizations want to protect the therapists in their own state so that you don't have to go with the entire country. But at the end of the day, I think that the reason why most of us, the reason why I became a therapist was because I really want to help as many people as we can. And that sounds cheesy, but it's the reality for most therapists. And I think that from what I've seen, generally people would support that. I mean, I would absolutely support them opening up Illinois and allowing out-of-state therapists to see people from Illinois, because I think it's what's best for the overall community as opposed to the business aspect of it. Right. So yesterday I had this experience where we were sitting on the couch and we were going to watch something and I just pulled up my phone and for whatever reason, I just went to Twitter and I don't know what I was checking. I just wanted to glance at it. And a story came up about a family or a two-year-old. And again, I don't know the facts. If if this is actually true or not, and it seemed like it was, but... It was a two-year-old who lost both of his parents in the shooting in Highland Park. And there's so much, as you know, and it's close to home for you all in Chicago, kind of taking it from the perspective of 
way outside, like, you know, again, living in the Southeast, for example, we're not there. These incidents and these attacks are happening all over the place at this point. But when someone goes into their feed, and I wasn't seeking this out, it just showed itself to me. And that's hard, right? For myself and my wife even said, like, said something like, what's up? What's the matter? And it just hit me that this two-year-old lost both of his parents in the shooting, from what I can tell. This is constant, right? Anytime you show up, you're seeing these things that are just devastating as people who might be out there and they're seeking help and they could go talk to a therapist about it. But like in the moment, there's so much there just to even take in. Like there's so much news and we can learn about the bad news and the good news at any moment's notice with like no delay. And it didn't used to be that way. And it like almost overnight, it feels like it is now that way. How can people cope with that? And maybe that's the word, like how do we cope with all of this news and all of this information that's out there now and just ready for you, even when you're not seeking it out. And oftentimes people are seeking it out. So it goes both ways. Yeah. I mean, I think that the situation you talked about, I believe is true. I believe that's exactly what happened. And you're right that we've kind of got these constant news feeds of different things that oftentimes don't feel like good news and or just really devastating things like the situation that you just talked about. I think that from a global standpoint, we need to make sure that we have all of us are proactive in having support systems in place. And that goes a long way because you don't ever know when something's going to happen. You don't ever know when something that's going to be really upsetting. And there's a lot of ways to do that. But I think making sure you have open lines of communication with your family and friends and people that feel, you know, you feel like are supportive of you. Another thing you can do is establish a relationship with a therapist or a counselor. And not even if you see them all the time, you may not need to see them very often or you may not want to see them very often. But if you have already that existing relationship, it makes it much easier to reach out to those people. And we've had a lot of that over the last several days. You know, people that we, you know, worked with in the past that have reached back out to us and just may want a couple sessions. But I think it's beyond just the therapy community. I think that for all of us, we need to make sure that we understand what we're going to do. It's kind of like if you have a, a dental emergency. Most people have a dentist that they could reach out to and know what would happen is if they had some big emergency, they know what they would do. And in addition to that, there's hotlines and there are some systems set up in place for kind of immediate help for people. But I think it's really difficult for people to share kind of how they're feeling and what's really going on inside. And it makes it easier if you have somebody familiar. And so, like I said, I would just say that we all need to be very proactive in knowing what our resources are and what our support system is and making sure that those lines of communication are open so that if we do need some extra help, and like I said, it can be friends, it can be family, it can be... There's a lot of different ways to do that. But I think over the last several years, everything has been so reactive because things keep just going on. And I don't think that's any fault of anybody. I think that there's just been a lot more kind of bigger issues over the last several years. And so I think, but for now, if I was talking to the general public, I would say establish that support system, those relationships, and know kind of who you would turn to in a time when you're really struggling and make sure that you're talking about it and not just trying to push it down and avoid it because that's ultimately what ends up making it typically harder to deal with, even though at the time it might seem like a good option for you. Is there an awareness piece to know that if an individual is logging on to Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or any of these different platforms 
like you could develop a habit to go for something else instead, like replace that habit with going for a walk or making a phone call to somebody or reading a book, as opposed to just going there because the best way to avoid it is to avoid it, right? But that easier said than done. And again, like you might be going in there to check on predictions for the Chicago Bulls upcoming season and up comes this information about what happened in Highland Park. Like you're not even looking for it. So you almost have to stay away from certain things or go to areas that are very specific of to what you're looking for. Like go to ESPN if you want to read about that stuff. But even in those places, I mean, there's toxic news coming out there as well with clickbait headlines that are meant to trigger people so they can sell more advertisements. Is there ways or are there tools? And again, you can't necessarily solve it in just one conversation, but to perhaps... You're not going to maybe totally avoid it. I mean, maybe some people could, but like staying away from that information that is no doubt going to be there. Yeah. I mean, I think that most people who do what I do would agree that social media has been not a positive impact on mental health. I think that there's kind of the 24-hour news cycle and there's information being fed to you. And a lot of that information is what people are looking at right now. And when you have some big event, then that's going to be at the kind of the top of the line. I think that we all need to be really careful that we don't get caught up, you know, kind of just being online and on our phones and on the computers. And like you said, there's a lot of different things we can do. We can go for a walk. I think it's important that sometimes people leave their phone wherever they are and just get away from it for a while. I mean, I think the other thing, the combination of social media and smartphones has been, you know, that we are constantly in contact now. And I think that there's some positive things about it and there's some things that can be helpful, but I don't think that the resources and the positive support systems we have or anybody has can make up for the kind of constant feeding of information. And again, I don't think this is something nefarious. I don't think anybody's trying to do this. I think it's just people are kind of putting out there what they believe people want to, you know, kind of are interested in. So I think it does come down to the individual to making sure that we're doing our own self-care and limiting. And one of those things is, you know, phones these days, they can track how long you've been on the internet every day. And so I think those are like many people pay attention to how many steps they have in a day, how much exercise they have. I think we also need to pay attention to how much time we're really spending on the web and kind of limit that for ourselves. Yeah. There's a lot of topics that lead to polarizing conversations where maybe you mean well on the front end, but then you kind of get deeper into that conversation. Like you can take global warming, right? I talk about politics is an obvious one, even sports, right? Like if you spend enough time and you go into a topic and it could just be like, again, it could be about the Chicago Bears and they're upset about the coach and what's going to happen this season. And then you just dive a little bit into that Twitter thread and you see the conversation that's taking place. And you see like this combative behavior and some of it's good natured, some of it's all in fun. And then other times it just goes into this toxic place. And yes, it does happen in public. Like you go out and you could see people outside the stadium yelling and getting at each other and getting into a fight. So it's not like just solely on social media and just kind of like goes to your point before. But what is it that leads people to having these combative and it's like more so than ever on social media that they're just like willing to just stand for whatever strong belief they have and they're going all in with that and they're not backing down and then it just escalates and then it's so easy for anyone on the outside to come in and add their two cents and then it just takes off. 
Yeah, I mean, I think in general, human beings aren't comfortable with conflict. And so if you're face-to-face, it's much more difficult to say something that you know might make somebody else upset. I think when you're online, many times you're totally anonymous. Sometimes people will be under their handle or their profile or whatever. But for the most part, there's not going to be any direct conflict. And you can come and go in that conversation whenever you want. You can put out something that you know is going to anger a lot of people. And then guess what? You can just set your phone down and walk away and let everybody else fight about it. I think that the ability of being anonymous and also not having to have a face-to-face conversation is a big piece of what that leads to. I think the other piece is, is I think just in general, our society is more like that. There's more people kind of being pushed to the outer sides of things and less people in the middle, or at least it appears so. I actually think that most Americans are in kind of a a middle group of thoughts. And for the most part, I think we agree as a total on many of these things. But I think that with the way, you know, you mentioned politics, the political systems and things like that is, is the, the sides have gotten farther apart. People have been encouraged to grow that divisiveness. So I think that people are willing to kind of go down that path because I think they believe they're fighting for what they think is right. And a lot of times people are fighting for what is right, but I'm not sure that social media is the most effective way to do it because I'm not sure many people's opinions are being changed or that they're learning a whole lot from a thread that's where two people are arguing or five people are arguing about something. I just don't know that we learn a lot from that and we grow much from that. When people don't change their mind, it's not when, why? I'll make it very simple. Like, why mentally are people not willing to change their minds about topics, like from what you understand and know? I mean, I think there's several factors that go into that. You know, if you look at statistically people's political beliefs, it's been a while since I looked at this, but the last I saw is 85% have the same kind of political leanings as their parents. And so I think we're all brought up in these different environments where we're taught these different things about what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad. And I think that we're kind of stuck to a belief system that we believe to be true and, you know, at times are true. And so we feel like we're fighting for who we are and what we know and more so than the bigger situation of it all and kind of what can we learn from that. I, I think the other thing is, is I think that A lot of sources over the past several years, they have been discredited. I think people don't necessarily... I think you used to be able to present a fact to somebody and it would make them think. It might actually help them kind of change a little bit of the way we're thinking. I think that now what happens is that people... You will present a fact and people will just say, well, that's not true. Even with kind of things that seems like they should be facts, you know, the argument is, well, that's fake. That's not true. And part of the problem is, is that there is a lot of fake stuff out there. There is a lot of bad information. And so I think that it's just kind of a snowball that keeps building and building and people want to stick up for what they believe is right. But it is harder these days to kind of influence other people to move in the direction that they're uncomfortable with, which is realistically what would probably be best for most of us is if we could open our ears up a little bit and talk less and and listen more. Yeah. Another main topic that's obviously been in the news and will remain in the news is the Roe v. Wade decision. And that one, again, all of these things take place, whether the conversations are taking place on social media, but also in the home, in the workplace, and wherever you may gather as people continue now Things have changed with COVID and people are gathering more. So these conversations are being brought. And this is a major decision. And regardless of what side someone stands on, they're being impacted in some way. Even if 
They're just bystanders and they're listening to the conversation that perhaps is happening in their workplace. This is very complex, right? And it gets into political things, but it gets into women's rights. It gets into what a lot of people fought for. And you're seeing people very upset, again, on both sides of this equation. But in all these topics, it's talked about not just on social media, but it is a lot of face-to-face as well. Maybe it's like, okay, let's talk about the workplace because this is a topic that's going to come up. And whether it's Roe v. Wade or another type of topic in that area, how do people like, is it again, community? Like, because you can't just avoid it, right? It's right in front of you. Yeah. I mean, I think that these are conversations that are happening and are going to continue to happen. And, you know, we all have different friends and people that we like and trust. And I would just say that if there's somebody who you're talking to about this, they're not going to have any effect on you because you don't respect them or you don't like them or whatever. Then I think that the more valuable conversations we can have are with those people we're closer to who might have different views from us because we're more likely to actually take in some information or at least have a better understanding. I think the other part is, is that there's a lot of people arguing about a lot of these things who aren't necessarily directly affected by it, right? There's a lot of people with a lot of opinions about other things that affect different groups more than they affect yourself. And I think it's fine that everybody has their own opinions, but I think it's important for us as human beings to not just look at whether something's better or worse for me, but asking, is it better or worse for the overall community? Is it better overall society? Like, What's really going to be the most helpful? Because at the end of the day, our community, that affects us. And so if we're not all looking out for what's best for the overall community and understanding that different decisions, they affect different people different ways. And for some people, they're going to have a huge impact. And for other people, they're going to have uh, less of an impact. But I think we need to be able to hear those who are impacted and ultimately really pay attention to what they're saying, you know, like in the Roe v. Wade, I think we need to listen to the people who are being impacted the most, which is the women. And we need to really try to hear what they're talking about and what they're saying. And there's an argument that everybody could be affected by this. And that's true. But ultimately, in these situations, that's what I try to do. I try to listen to what's going on with the folks who are closest to the issue. And again, this is a tough one because we're all close to it and it, it can affect you know all of us in many different ways. But I don't know. I think just having conversations with people you respect and you like, even if their thought processes or their opinions are different than yours, those are important things for all of us to learn. Yeah. And that's the reason why like conversations like this, I think are so important, whether you're in this conversation or not, this conversation will be published in a podcast format in some other type of snippet format that people can listen in and to just, like you just said, learn to listen a little bit. If they heard you, Derek, speaking on this topic, it's like, okay, you know what? I can try that. I can have this conversation with this person. It might be your mother, it might be your sibling. And I'm going to listen to their opinion on this and just that. And I think that's why this type of content to me has so much impact. And it's in a way we've heard a lot, like listening to, this is a different topic, but listening to athletes talk about mental health. You have your sports and performance wellness division. And we've heard over the last couple of years, athletes speak up. And it's been more than that, but it's really started to pick up now. And it's been eye-opening for a lot of people to think like, I had no idea that athletes went through this. And it's going to continue to happen. You all work with collegiate athletes, college programs, 
And you're seeing more and more athletes speak up on this topic and talk about what it is that they want to talk about. Are you seeing more of an awareness from these organizations, whether it's universities or clubs or professional teams, talking about and concerned about their athlete mental health in a way that they want to help with it and say, like, we want Millennium to be a part of what we're doing to help our athletes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that this is becoming a bigger topic. I think one of the things that has happened is people started to finally realize, which, you know, as the professionals, we know this, but I think the community understands that this isn't uh, mental health, substance abuse, trauma, those things. They don't care about how successful you are, how smart you are, how good of an athlete you are. These are things that hit all of us as human beings. And I think that there's kind of this idea that some groups are exempt from that and they're not, right? And that's always been the case, but it was just a matter of who was speaking up on it and who was talking about it. So yeah, I think that the organizations, the professional teams, the college athletic departments are doing a much better job. And part of that is is because our younger people are educated in this now. Like I said, I'm in my 50s and when I was growing up, we didn't talk a lot about mental health. We didn't talk a lot about those things. I mean, I personally did because my mom was a therapist, but in general, that wasn't something that was talked about freely. And I think a lot of my hope for our country and our world lies in the fact that I think that our young folks do understand these things and they have been educated on these things and they're more aware and they have a better education on you know how substance abuse can affect people and how mental health can affect people and that there's resources out there to get help and that this isn't just something you have to live with. There's ways that you can address these things. So I think that the universities, the pro teams, I think that they in general, try to do what's best for the people that they are having their programs. And I think they're realizing that this is a major piece of it. You know, I will say from athletes, historically, when it came to mental health and athletes, the focus was a lot on performance. It was like, okay, so your mental health is affecting your performance. And I think that that's kind of something that we look at it a little bit differently is we're the reason why we work with athletes isn't so much to make their performance better. It's to make sure they're okay and make sure that as human beings, they're doing all right. Now, does that affect their performance? Absolutely. If they're doing better in life, they're going to perform better. But the focus has always been on their performance for most of their lives. And, you know, as a former athlete, for most of my life, it was on performance. So I think just the ability to kind of look beyond that and treat people as human beings, as opposed to whatever category they fit into, whether they're an athlete or whatever, that's going to give us a better opportunity to effectively treat people. And we just need to see that none of us are exempt from this. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sportsypreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sportsypreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. CadCM is our content production company. Why content? It's simple. Content brings people together. I've seen it play out over and over, and I want to help others explore and discover this for themselves. The experience is totally worth it. Learn more at kazdm.com. We focus on podcasts and writing, one piece of content at a time. It all starts with conversations just like this one.